Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikova. With me is Benjamin Solak joining you guys on a special Sunday edition of the podcast because like we said previously, we're running through weekend episodes. We're trying to make sure that we are done with the guest mock draft series before draft week. And so in order to do that, we've got to do some a little bit of weekend overtime here. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the weekend episodes and just some overload as we get towards draft weekend. I'll recap the guest mock draft to this point were eight picks down. Trevor Lawrence went number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Surprise, surprise. Zach Wilson went number two to the New York Jets. Justin Fields went number three to the San Francisco 49ers. Trey Lance went number four to the Atlanta Falcons. Jamar Chase ended up going five to the Cincinnati Bengals. Kyle Pitts, six to the Miami Dolphins. Jalen Waddell, seven to the Detroit Lions. Penny Sewell, to the Carolina Panthers at eight, and that brings us up to now picks nine and ten, the Denver Broncos and the Dallas Cowboys. We've got Cody Rourke and Marcus Mosier on this episode of the podcast to preview their teams that they cover. Excited to get to those interviews, but before we get there, Ben, my friend, how are you on this beautiful Sunday? This is Sunday? Yep. Everything is delicious then. (laughs) If it were another day, it would have been the exact same answer. It's just, it's impossible for me to keep track of the days and all the podcasts and the various shows we've got coming out. Uh, this is where, like when I was thinking about guest mock, yeah, this is where I started thinking that things were going to get interesting when we got outside of the top 10. Well, this is the end of the top 10, but it, I don't think it's a strong class at the top. I think the top players are very clear. And I think we've picked most of them and there's one or two left. And now it becomes who do teams like, who do our beat reporters yeah. particularly like? Who do our beat reporters think the teams particularly like? Uh, this is where, to me, it starts to get fun and funky. Uh, so I'm excited about st- getting out of the chalk, getting out of the easy guys, and now actually getting into the the meat and potatoes of the draft. I'm totally with you. I thought there was a little bit of a shakeup when uh, Tory took Trey Lance. We're going to at- disagree about this in every single intro for every single one in five. Number no, four, but Lance I- is... It's fine. I no 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 no. It's fine because it was it was a quarterback pick, and I'm, I'm not going too far against that. That's why I I was actually getting to agreeing with you by saying that I thought that the pick was a little bit surprising to me. But the fact that it was a quarterback there doesn't necessarily throw everything off too much because we've had these scenarios that we've thought about before. Now that we get into the Broncos, the Cowboys, and even outside of the top ten with the Giants, the Eagles, the Chargers, the Vikings, even the Patriots, I feel like they're a big wild card as well. These next couple of picks here, that's really going to define the draft. And I've really enjoyed when we've done this guest mock draft in the past couple of years because we get to the end of the road and we look back on this mock and we go, man, I almost agree with every single pick, but a lot of these guys aren't where they normally are when we do mocks. And so that's why it's such a fun exercise. And so with that, let's keep it rolling. Joining us is our go-to Broncos guy. He hosts Locked on Broncos. He's a senior NFL analyst for Pro Football Network. It's our good friend, Cody Roar. Cody, my man, thank you so much for joining us. 
Hey, gentlemen, thank you for the invite. I, I have so much fun listening to you two talk because you never know what you're going to get. It's like <laughs> watching professional wrestling, right? You got the whole presentation to sit up, but then all of a sudden somebody comes in and hits you with a chair. That is what I get when I listen to you two. So very excited to be here today. This Ben, I think that's the best review we've ever gotten on uh, the podcast. Honestly, when he said it's like professional wrestling, I was like, I've not even seen professional wrestling, and I know this is like professional wrestling, so this makes sense. And just the idea <laughs> of someone coming out of nowhere and hitting somebody with a steel chair. I mean, if I had to be honest, that's the exact kind of podcast I'm going for. Yeah, so. that's the content we like to see. <laughs> it's phenomenal. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> that was pretty spot on there. All right, so I, I got to talk about when we start discussing the Broncos. The number one conversation, and we're going to get to plenty around the quarterback. We're going to talk about offense and defense and all of the things that could go into the Broncos draft needs, not just in the first round, but in the next couple of rounds too. But I think it all revolves around the quarterback, and it all revolves around Drew Locke right now because it just seemed like in free agency, the Broncos made some huge splashes. They brought back Shelby Harris, which I think was a really big deal. Then they went and signed Ronald Darby, so they got the corner they needed. Then all of a sudden, Kyle Fuller fell in their lap because the, the Bears moved on from him. They signed Justin Simmons to a, to a uh, long-term deal, which was big time. And then they brought back Kareem Jackson, which I, I would have told you, beginning of free agency, they weren't going to be able to do all of these things. Instead, that they did. And now when I'm looking at this Broncos team, I feel like it's all on Drew Locke now. So I'd love to hear your Locke opinion. What would you think of him in his first year as a starter? And what's the outlook on Locke moving forward as this team's franchise quarterback? Well, you know, I would say first off, there is a major divide amongst the fan base when it comes to Drew Locke, and I think a lot of it is emotional. Now, in the five games that he played, the final five games of 2019, Broncos fans were so excited about him. Then, you come into the offseason for 2020, obviously COVID impacted everybody. Uh, Denver didn't really get to do the things that they wanted to do, so the real first live action, obviously with no preseason, came against the Tennessee Titans, a pretty damn good football team in week one, and they, they were trying to find their rhythm. Okay, so they were able to go through that. You know, they come up short. Phil Lindsay gets hurt in that game. Drew Locke plays okay. You know, doesn't do anything bad. Doesn't do anything too spectacular or too exciting that's going to wow you, right? So we we figure, okay, that maybe that's just first game jitters. It's out of the way for the team. They go on the road week two against Pittsburgh, and on the second series, he he gets hit by T.J. Watt, and he absolutely tears his shoulder up. He's out for that game. He's out several weeks. There was no continuity or consistency, in my opinion, uh, for Drew Locke because he dealt with that injury. He came back against New England, and you know he, he outside of the stat sheet, when you look at it, he played well for the most part. I mean, he was taking deep shots, and he was dealing with a lot of drops in that game. Now, if some of those you know drops are made as catches and, and touchdowns, you're not having to worry about the the two interceptions late in that game that, that made it look you know abysmal there. So you have that, and then just the inconsistencies in the offensive line each year. Now. There's things that I looked at with Pat Shermer, and I felt like Pat Shermer at the beginning of the year, it was, hey, this is my system. We're going to try to run it to the best of our ability the way that I've coached it. Midway towards the season, though, he started to shift towards, I think, what Locke could do really well, getting the ball out of his hands quicker. You know, when we saw Drew Locke sit there and take his time, bad things happened. But outside of the stats, when you look at it and the performance and obviously the overall record for Denver, down the stretch, Drew Locke started to play better for Denver. However, fans, they're looking for the next best thing. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it really depends on what George Payton thinks. And to be honest with you, unless a guy falls there, you know, to the Broncos at nine that they really, really like, I just don't see them going with quarterback in this year's draft. I do want to ask, because I, I like that you say that. I, emphatically, I don't think they're going to go quarterback. I, I don't have a full grasp on what the 
distribution of responsibilities is between George Payton and John Elway. And obviously the meme is that like Elway with his quarterback evaluations was drafting guys who looked like Elway. Uh, now Payton is in this spot. And whenever we have a change of the guard in the front office, we, that opens us up to move on from some incumbent people like a upcoming third year quarterback who hasn't really had that clear breakout moment yet. So Peyton, I know is like the shot caller, but how is this going to, how is this going to work even like on a year round basis for next year? Who's going to be dealing with what, who's going to be making those final decisions and how do you expect that to change what the Broncos have done in quarterback evaluations and otherwise over the last couple of years? Well, I can tell you this, George Payton has come in right away and he's, he's taken full reign in the organization. Now on paper, John Elway is the president of football operations. He's going to have that title this year, but I tell you this, he's already in retirement mode. He, he's done. Like, he's not going to really do too much with the Broncos organization. This is a collaborative effort between George Payton, the coaching staff, and the scouting department. And the Broncos, ironically, they've been documenting everything so far since George Payton has come in and taken over as GM. And in his short time, he has commanded, I think, some respect for some of the moves he's made on paper. You know, Trevor was talking about the moves he made in free agency, but in his two and a half, now three months of being the GM for Denver, the, the perception of the organization, I think, for Broncos fans has changed. Once the season ended in 2020, it was doom and gloom now. I mean, there's a newfound excitement because of George Payton. I think the one thing is that George Payton said when he was introduced, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and he came out and he delivered those promises, something that Dever hasn't done, quite frankly, under John Elway in his tenure as the Broncos GM. When you look at the things that are surrounding Drew Locke on this offense— it's a young group. It's a group that I think is still coming together. You know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, they need they need upgrades on the offensive line. But when I get the offensive line, I mean, they just tied up the money with Garrett Bowles on the left side. They got Dalton Reisner. Lloyd Cushmere, I think, struggled a little bit in his, his first year. But his first year playing center in the NFL, it's understandable. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that Juwan James should be coming back to play right tackle. You have that young wide receiver group. You've got some running backs there. Talk to me about your overall thoughts. I just named the names there, but do you think that we could see the Broncos make some splashes on offense or early on in the draft? Let's say in the first three rounds. It doesn't have to necessarily be at number nine, but do you think that they're going to invest some bigger picks in that side of the ball, or do you think it's going to be more of a defensive draft because they like what they have growing on offense right now? Well, that's a great question. I think what we saw from the Broncos last year in the draft, they went offense with the first two picks, right? They double-dipped the wide receiver, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler. Uh, you bring Cortland Sutton back coming off of ACL injury. Then you bring Tim Patrick back, who had a really breakout year last year, regardless mm -hmm. of who was at quarterback, whether it was Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, or Jeff Driscoll, yeah. or even Kendall Hinton. He was one of those guys that consistently stood out, and that that's exciting right there. You know, you have Noel fan Albert Okwebenom entering year number two of his career, coming off of ACL as well. You mentioned the offensive line. You know, Jawan James is expected back. He's talked with George Payton. He says, hey, I'm coming back, but... Juwan James has to re-earn the trust of uh, his teammates in the locker room. That's something that Garrett Bowles even said because he did decide to opt out. Now, Denver was originally looking at cutting him this offseason, but the issue at hand was that the dead cap would have just you know sunk the Broncos into kind of this mm -hmm. uh, really unprecarious situation. So their hope is that they're going to roll with Juwan James this year at least, but they're looking at a different guy. So you know when you sent me the list of some of the picks there, I was really hoping Penny Sewell would be available because he would be that guy, even though he played left tackle at Oregon. Right. I think that if the Broncos drafted him this year, if he fell to them by some miracle, Mike Munchak would work with him. He'd get a year, and then they'd slide him over to right tackle. I honestly believe that you would have competition between Juwan James 
and Penny Sewell right away. Right. Mike, he's that type of guy. He's cerebral enough to do it. He loves football in comparison to Juwan James, who many people around him say he doesn't really love football. So there's that dynamic there. You get a chance to work with the best offensive line coach in football. I, I think that Denver could really lock up their old line. Now, I think they have all the pieces around them. So if Drew Locke is the guy this year, gentlemen, I don't think there's any excuses to be had. The Broncos have him surrounded with enough, I think, to maybe make that next step. However, it's going to be on Drew Locke. He's going to have to be better with his decision-making because that was the one thing, really, that hurt him. He relied too much on his arm strength to try to fit balls into tight windows. But NFL safeties and quarterbacks, they're faster than what they were in the SEC when you were playing in college at Mizzou. So that's an adjustment I think he has yet to learn. He's got to do a lot better. And if he can do that, I think he has the ability to take that next step. But... Uh, the microscope is on him in a big way this year. Before before Ben gets to his next question, I just want to say you can tell how plugged in a Broncos analyst is by how they can say the name Albert Okwegbunam. And Cody, <laughs> yeah. just, Cody just nailed it. So I just wanted everybody to make sure that, uh, that they properly recognize that. Well, last year was an interesting year for Denver because in the draft they had all these different names. They had Michael Ojemudia, you know, they had oh, all these yeah. different names. And I was like, man, this is, they're really trying to throw <laughs> some, uh, some tongue <laughs> twisters at us. But, but Albert, I mean, the, the one thing I, I would say is really funny is just watching the national broadcast, the CBS broadcast, really try to pronounce his last name. They would call him Akua Boonham, and I was like, oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> so, a tough one, man. I, I had a conversation with Albert about that, and I was like, man, I was like, they're having a rough time pronouncing your name. Even Madden got it wrong, too, and he's like, he's like, I literally have it, the pronunciation in my Twitter bio. It, it's super easy. So if you just if you go to his Twitter bio and you read it a few times, you're going to nail it. All right, uh, we talked quarterback of the offense there with Drew Log. I want to talk about quarterback of the defense because to me, uh, Vic Fangio has liked his top Mike linebackers for as long as I can remember him coaching with Patrick Willis, with Roquan Smith. This is what he likes to, to do, and that's a position that's important to him. A.J. Johnson and Josie Jewell, both of whom I think are, are outplaying expectations in their draft slots in this Vic Fangio defense, both perfectly fine players, are on contract years, and I think you can improve upon them. We always discuss the value of linebackers in the top 10. Do you want to be taking an off-ball stack linebacker that early? So I ask you, Cody, do you think the Broncos, George Payton, new front office, would be willing to take that position in the top 10? Is it important enough in this Fangio defense? I think so when you consider the importance. I mean, you mentioned all the, the linebackers that Vic is using his defense, and, and I think that when you look at the success of those defenses, a lot of it was predicated off of one of those alpha dog type players. And there's a couple of players in this year's draft that I feel like would be good selections. Now, it's not necessarily a tremendous need for Denver, but it would be really nice, right? Because when we look at the Super Bowl, we saw Tampa Bay against Kansas City. Well, Denver, they play Kansas City twice per year. So one difference maker was having one of those coverage linebackers like the Devin Whites, the Levant, Davis to be able to neutralize the threat of Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey historically has hurt the Broncos year in and year out. Denver's done a really good job against the receivers, but Travis Kelsey's been that one guy that's been able to eat against them consistently. He had 11 catches in their Sunday night football win against Denver late in the season last year, and he went over 100 yards there. So he had a very historic season from a tight end perspective, but Denver needs a guy like that. And I think that if you can get a guy like that, Denver has a guy on roster that not a lot of people are talking too much about because we didn't see him as a rookie, but Justin Stern out of Wake yeah, Forest. Yeah, buddy. He's going to be back this year, and he might be that guy. He might be that diamond in the rough, and I had a chance last year after the Broncos drafted him. I had a chance to talk with Lyle Hemphill, defensive coordinator at Wake Forest, and he said, hey, this is one of the most cerebral guys that I've ever been around. Even though he suffered a season-ending injury in his senior year at Wake Forest, 
he was at practice every day. He was in the, the position room preparing as if he was going to play. Like he would, he'd take notes and he'd help other guys out. So that tells me a lot that I need to know. So he's had a whole year to be able to sit in those position meetings with Vic Fangio, with Reggie Herring, and be able to learn the defense. Now it's about going out on the football field and OTAs, minicamp potentially if that actually happens, and then carrying that over. I think he's got the ability to do that. He's on track for it. And he might be a diamond in the rough, but does that address the Broncos' need further? I'm not quite sure. You mentioned Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell being on contract years. That's why I have the Broncos in this uh, selection period that you guys had me do. That's why I had them go with the linebacker. Okay, well, wow. yeah, he's he's talking about linebacker. He's hinting at it right there. So who is it? Which linebacker is it? Because I think that there's one that people typically think might go in the top 10, but actually when you gave me the pick early before this episode— it was a different name. So who are you picking for the Broncos here at number nine? Yeah, it's Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa out of Notre Dame. He's going to be the selection for the Broncos here. And the reason why I did that over Micah Parsons, when I look at Micah Parsons, don't get me wrong, athletically he is a genetic freak in nature. However, like many other NFL teams are going to have, they need to do more extensive background on some of the character concerns. Obviously, the hazing incidents at Penn State, there are concerns there that NFL teams are, are digging up on. So we don't know the information just yet, and obviously we'll see how it impacts him in the NFL draft. But because of the character concerns, I went with uh, Owusu Koromoa out of Notre Dame. And I tell you what, you look at a guy like Kareem Jackson, how, how physical he is and how game-changing it is when he brings a hit. I look at Koromoa, and he does the same exact thing, except he gives you that ability at the second level rather than the back end. And he can be able to do a little bit of both. And I think in Vic Fangio's defense, he can be that guy where he can drop to the middle of the field and he sees Travis Kelsey coming across on a drag pattern. He can get there, right? And he can also be a guy that can play a running back out of the backfield. He can come up and stuff sure. the run. You know, he's got that those physical traits. And, you know, his. We, we look a lot into testing, right? He didn't run his four-yard dash, obviously, due to a tight hamstring, which I just want to say, when you guys went to the, the, the pro day and you guys held it down at the I Am Athlete House of Athletes, yeah. you guys did a phenomenal job. I love that. That was fantastic, by the way. Well, I appreciate um, it. I had, that was, that was had, a lot of fun yeah. for us, yeah, so I appreciate it. It was all it. me. <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to throw that in there, though. But, so for him not running the 40-yard dash, everyone's wondering what that is. But the thing that stood out to me was his three-cone drill, his ability to change direction quickly that's all you need to have and, and he's got a knack for the football and he, he's a thumper he's a heat-seeking missile part of me wonders with a fit like him even though he played two seasons in Notre Dame and he was able to to accomplish the things that he did in two seasons in Vic Fangio's defense it scares me as to what maybe Vic can do with him so that is why I made the selection of Jeremiah Usu-Koromo is because of the fact that Vic, he did, the Broncos aren't reaching here. This is a player that can absolutely be a game changer in the AFC West when you have guys like Darren Waller at tight end sure. and Travis Kelsey. Ben, what do you think about that one? Uh, getting Jeremiah Usu-Koromo with Vic Fangio? So here's my question. is You've got Kareem Jackson who plays uh, like a box safety sort of a role. Owusu Kormo at Notre Dame was playing a box safety sort of a role. So are you going to have him in year one play outside the tackle box as an overhang? Or are you going to try to have him play stack linebacker in year one? You're going to try to leave him an overhang in year one, put some weight on and move him there in year two. Kind of what's your arc for him in terms of his weight and where he aligns? I think he'll be one of the stack uh, linebackers in Vic's system. Now, you do make an interesting point, too, because Kareem Jackson, he's only back on a one-year deal, so Denver's depth, and even this year, I feel like they need to address safety depth behind Kareem Jackson. That's why I think a lot of Broncos fans are hoping for Richie Grant to be able to fall into their laps, or even Trevon Mowrig out of TCU. Denver needs to address safety because Kareem Jackson, you get him for one year, that's phenomenal. He's up there in age, but you know he didn't play 
to the stand. He didn't play like he was 32, 33 years old. He played like he was 24, which is great. But you only get him one year. You got to look long term. And that's what the draft is for. You want to build your roster for the long term in the draft, not through free agency. And that's something that George Payton had noted. But for the Broncos, based on where they're at, and this is a career year for Josie Jewell, mm-hmm. I think that. Uh, I think Owusu Koromoa can offer more in the role of what the Broncos need as a coverage linebacker and a guy that can still play the run. He's a hybrid player in the AFC West and against some of the teams that are going to play this year better than what Josie Jewell or Alexander Johnson could do. And I think that having a guy like that, it can free up the opportunity for you to just blitz Alexander Johnson. You can send him. Or if the Broncos really want to get creative, could you imagine a double pack where you have two linebackers with you know your coverage dynamic with Justin Sternid and Owusu Koromoa? Right. I, that, that right there, I tell you what, I'm excited. That's, that's like pick your poison. Um, we don't know how it would play out, but the prospect of it I think is very intriguing. Before we get you out of here, I, I just had to ask you this question because, like I said at the beginning of, of, of your uh, your interview, you're a Broncos guy. And I just got to ask, as somebody who covers a team very closely, who's in the same division as a Patrick Mahomes, we've kind of sat here over the last two years and talked about how Patrick Mahomes is the big-time future of the league. How much pressure is that on the Broncos? Uh, you know, not not just being in the same conference as the Kansas City Chiefs, but also like being in the same division. You play them twice a year, and your path to the playoffs goes through Patrick Mahomes. And so, you know, you brought up Travis Kelsey as, as, as an example of something that they've got to focus on and deal with. Is that almost how you are approaching some of your team building if you're the Broncos? Do you have to focus a lot on what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing? I think you have to, right? If you have aspirations of getting into the playoffs, you know that you have a juggernaut in that division, and you have a rising team with the L.A. Chargers as well with what they're doing with Justin Herbert. They still have some moves they've got to make to even push the needle, but they're getting guys healthy back on defense. But you have to in a sense, and this is a kind of that slippery slope, right? You don't want to do everything in terms of building your roster to just beat and compete and contend with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's how can you adjust and adapt to the modern NFL, right? The Buffalo Bills, the Josh Allens of the world, uh, and even looking in the NFC with, with teams that are evolving in the way that they do things. Russell Wilson, um, you know, you factor into the offensive game now. It's so spread them out. It's empty. It's three by one. Uh, it's a lot of just air it out. You have to have a roster to be able to do with that because that's the game now. The Kansas City Chiefs are one of the best in the league right now at that ty- at that style of offense. They have the weapons, the personnel to do it. And not to mention, you have a generational talent at quarterback that no matter what you seem to do, you can play the best coverage and he can still find a way to hurt you by fitting a ball in a window that you thought was impossible. That's how good of a quarterback he is. That's how good the weapons are around him. So yeah, if you really want to get to that next level, you have to find a way to compete. And look, not a lot of people will talk about this, guys, but... When Denver played Kansas City last year, you look at the first matchup, if you look at the score, you're like, oh, it wasn't close. Denver defensively did a really great job against Kansas City. Now, the issue was Denver threw a pick six to Daniel Sorensen, and then they gave up a kick return for a touchdown. And not to mention after that, there was a a couple of turnovers that put them in a spot within the 20-yard line. So they were able to kick field goals and even score a touchdown off of that on short field. Um, You look at the Sunday night football game. Denver defensively, they played really well against Kansas City. And unfortunately, the offense made a couple of mistakes towards the end. And Vic Fangio decided to punt it with six minutes left, having hope in his defense. And unfortunately, it came back to bite them in the tail. Denver still had a chance, but you know, Drew Locke threw a pick to uh, Tyron Matthew in the closing seconds mm-hmm. of that game. But Denver's not too far off, I think, competing defensively. I think they have the defensive identity and the mold to be able to compete with Kansas City. But they do have to have a more efficient offense and an offense that puts up more points and doesn't turn the ball over as much as they did to be able to, to I think, to win in the division, even beat Kansas City in one of those matchups. If you can split with KC 1-2, that's a 1-1. That's a big success, I think, for Denver in, in terms of a step in the right direction. 
Cody Rourke, everybody. He's our go-to Broncos guy for a reason. Follow him on Twitter at Cody Rourke NFL, senior NFL analyst over at Pro Football Network, as well as the host of Locked On Broncos here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Cody, thank you so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. I'm going to continue to listen and never know what's going to come next. Like I said, it's like someone's going to get hit with a chair. You guys bring that entertainment and, and you bring it all year long, which is the best thing. So I appreciate you too. I we really appreciate that, man. Ben, when we do a when we do our live shows during draft week, uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, maybe I'll actually hit you with it. Bring out the chair. Yeah. I think that's basically what I, Cody's I, asking this. for. And who are we to deny him? <laughs> We've got number 10 in the guest mock draft series coming up for you guys right after the break. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, MLB, NHL, it's all in full swing right now. They even cover the award shows, the TV shows, the reality TV that you guys love to binge and know all about. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code LOCKED ON. That's one word, all caps. Locked on. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Get all the sports news that you need in just under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. That brings us to number 10, the final selection in the top 10. That's how numbers work. Just to give you guys a little bit of a recap, Trevor Lawrence going number one, Zach Wilson number two, Justin Fields number three, Trey Lance four, Jamar Chase five, Kyle Pitts six, Jalen Waddle seven, Penny Sewell eight, and then we just heard Cody take Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa to the Denver Broncos at nine, which brings us up to the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, if you will, which means that, you know, if it's the country's team, we we got a lot of pressure here. We got to get this right. So we had to get the big guns in for it. We have with us on the podcast now, Marcus Mosier, who is the host of Locked On Cowboys. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And I think this is the uh, the ideal scenario here for the Cowboys at number 10. Lots of good options. This is, this is very true. I want to open this up talking about one of the big changes that we have for the Cowboys in 2021 as opposed to what we saw last year because... Last year, I felt like there were just so many injuries. There was a lot of bad luck mm-hmm. that happened. Obviously, when you when you lose your starting quarterback, that almost you got to throw the whole year out. But the Dallas Cowboys definitely had their struggles last season, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So they end up bringing in former Atlanta Falcons head coach Dan Quinn now as their defensive coordinator. And, and I'm curious here because we're going to talk about both sides of the ball. But starting with defense, how different do you think that this defense is going to look in what they might want to emphasize, especially when it comes to the draft. Yeah, I just think they want to get a heck of a lot faster. And that was the problem last year with Mike Nolan's defense. It wasn't that they didn't have speed. It's just nobody had any kind of confidence because they were learning a new defense in a COVID year, you know, without really an off season and nobody played confidently and you saw the lack of speed and the tentativeness on the field. Uh, so I think the Cowboys are going to simplify their scheme and look for athletes to put on the defense uh, through the draft. I'm curious then, what do we think happens with the incumbent 
second year players in the secondary because the Cowboys started to make investments there. Mm-hmm. They have a second, a second round player in Trevon Diggs, who was a starting corner for them. They have uh, uh, Reggie Robinson, Robinson. Uh, who they, yep. yeah, in the fourth round. I always want to call him Reggie Robertson. That is a wide receiver from SMU. It is not <laughs> a corner. So they have Robinson, who obviously was a, a, a move sort of like, was he going to be a corner? Was he going to be a safety? They had DeMonte KZ. They liked Darian Thompson last year. This secondary underwent a lot of change over the last year. Adds Keanu Neal, brings back Jordan Lewis. Where, like, we always we, we know this Cowboys secondary needs help, but I want to know for you who are the the cornerstones right now in that group? Who's definitely got a starting job locked down, and where is there going to be battle? Where could Cowboys potentially add more bodies? Yeah, I think the only player that's locked into a starting position is Trayvon Diggs. They absolutely love Diggs, and I think going to a cover three heavy scheme is actually going to be good for Diggs. So uh, that's the only guy that I can tell you right now is a lock to start. Uh, They like the battle at slot corner between Anthony Brown and Jordan Lewis. Uh, Donovan Wilson is a third year safety that played pretty well at the back end of last year. So they've got some names and they've got some bodies, but uh, they they need to to find some more cornerstones and long-term starters. So I think that's where we're going to end up going here at pick number 10. I want to talk about the defensive line before we switch over to offense a little bit. We have interior defensive line as one of the Cowboys' higher needs over at the Draft Network. So whenever you're running mock draft simulations on our mock draft machine, you will see interior defensive line there as a need. And I often see you know, them potentially go for Davey Nixon, Christian Barmore if he makes it, players like that sometime in this early second round. But when I look at this defensive tackle group, I feel like the two guys who are starting, Tristan Hill and Neville Gallimore, like those are younger guys. So do you is the problem there just the inexperience? Because if that's the case, I always question, okay, well, how does throwing then a rookie in there really help that out? So right. I, I'm just curious as to what the real pulse of the interior defensive line and just the defensive line in general is for the Cowboys right now. Yeah, so let's start with defensive end. I actually feel like they're pretty good at that spot. Demarcus Lawrence is still a stud. Randy Gregory uh, is healthy, played pretty well last year. They could use some depth on the ends, but I think they're good uh, You know, at that spot. Defensive tackle, you are right. That's maybe the biggest weakness on this entire team right now. And you're Neville Gallimore and Tristan Hill, they're both three techniques that kind of get up the field but are liabilities in you know the run game. I just think those guys need to play. Their, their biggest problem is they don't have a dominating one technique that can make the life easier for Tristan Hill and Bill Gallimore. And uh, Trevor, you know, there's, there's just not a lot of top end talent in this defensive tackle class. If right. there was a Derek Brown in this class, I, I would almost just assume that would be the pick. If you were to make it at 10, there's just not none of those guys, none of those guys in this class. So we're mm-hmm. looking at day two, one techniques that could give you 20, 25 snaps a game. Tommy Togiai from Ohio State is yeah. somebody they like quite a bit. Uh, Liam McNeil from North Carolina State, maybe another you know third round option should he make it there. I, I just think the Cowboys are going to continue to throw day two picks uh, at that spot, but I don't think this is the draft to use your first round pick on a defensive tackle. We saw uh, yesterday. I forget who had the report. It might've been Jim Nagy. I can't remember, but somebody said that Barmore, Christian Barmore, the DT out of Alabama is going like top 15, top 20. Like that's happening. Do you think the Cowboys are in on him or no? 
I think in a potential trade back, but I don't know about you guys. I, I just don't see a top 15 player in Christian. Yeah, Brown. I don't either. I'm right. just sure, like, because you're saying that what they need is that dominant one tech. I'm not sure he's that body type, but he's the <laughs> right. only guy I can think of going that early. Right. Well, and he, I think he has the body to potentially be a one technique in the NFL. He just doesn't play like it, right? He's almost more similar to Tristan Hill, where he's this, this up the field penetrating right. defensive tackle and not a guy that, you know, stacks at the line of scrimmage. So, Again, it's just it, it, the the need in the draft, you know, players available don't fit them very well. Let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball now. I feel like the most common pick that the Cowboys can be tempted to have on the offensive side deals with the offensive line. And mm-hmm. I think a big reason for that is you certainly saw the struggles with the Cowboys offensive line last year, but it felt like they were really banged up. And and I would like to hear from your perspective as somebody who covers the team a lot closer do we just like, are we having a tendency as outsiders to look at what happened in 2020 and say, oh, they need offensive line? But is the reality the fact that they just are saying, like, yeah, we were unlucky with injuries. We're happy with all the guys that we have on the offensive line. And if they get a backup, fine. But I'd like to hear where the prioritizing level is here, I guess, on the offensive line for the Cowboys. I think it's a little bit of both. And I think it's one of these things where you're better off to take an offensive tackle early rather than later because they don't need bodies. What they need are high level players because they still believe that Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins are going to be superstars this year. They restructured both of their contracts, which I mean, that tells us that they believe not only are they going to play this year, but they're also going to play into the future. So they think they're going to be healthier on the offensive line, but if somebody like Penny Sewell, or Rashawn Slater is available to them at 10 and they can slide him in at left guard and potentially have a left tackle in waiting for uh, whatever Tyron Smith decides to hang it up. Sure. I think that's appealing to them as well. So uh, it's not the biggest need, but I think if the value is there, the Cowboys will attack that position. Uh, I'm curious. I think that last year we walked into the 2020 draft with all right, the Cowboys need X and the Cowboys need Y and then CD lamb fell to them and they just made the pick. Right. Sure. And and no, like that wasn't a bad pick. That was a great pick. That was an exciting pick. We love that pick. Uh, Lamb, Cooper, their long term, Gallup potentially not as he's looking at a contract year or whatever, figuring that out. I look at a weak tight end room, and we had uh, Kyle Pitts just leave the board a couple of picks ago. I'm curious for you, do you think that they're in a position again where if a top talent pass catcher fell, i.e. a tight end, which I know they have Blake Jarwin, but generally that's not the strongest room. Are the Cowboys still in a position to go BPA and to say, like, all right, this guy's going to fall to us, we're going to take him? Or because they're picking 10, even with all the injuries that they dealt with, obviously, are they a team that has too big of holes and they absolutely have to go defense early? They've got to go corner early. They've got to try to get a, a down tackle early because this roster has holes and they have to draft for value. Yeah, so this is a question that has been polarizing for Cowboys Nation for the last three months, and I really don't think it's all that complicated. If Kyle Pitts, who I'm – calling a generational tight end falls to you at number 10, you don't pass on him. He's just too good of a player and you figure everything else out later. Maybe you use, you know, you have a ton of draft picks on day two and day three, throw all of those at defense. Kyle Pitts is a guy that can, can dramatically change your offense. And I know that they signed Blake Jarwin to a long-term deal, but he's coming off a torn ACL. Uh, Dalton Schultz is entering the final year of his contract. Uh, Michael Gallup is also entering the final year of his contract as well. So you could, you could make the argument that Pitts is going to replace Schultz and Gallup 
I, I just think you take him there and you worry about everything else later because this is a guy that I think you can make an argument is the best player in the entire draft, even over Trevor Lawrence. So if he's there, pull the trigger and we'll figure everything else out later. My last question for you just has to deal with, with Dak Prescott because we couldn't we couldn't have yawn and get you out of here without <laughs> asking about Dak. I know that you've probably talked about it ad nauseum plenty over the last year, but you know, take me through your timeline. You know, what was it a super frustrating situation watching what the Cowboys were doing, kind of slow playing everything with Prescott, or did you understand the timing? And then I guess, you know, kind of wrap it up with what you thought of the deal overall once it finally got done. Yeah, first and foremost with the deal, it, I I think it's a steal. I think anytime you can lock up a quarterback, it's you know it's a it's a, a fair deal. And I think we'll see over the next two or three years, we'll the, we'll see the Baker Mayfields and the Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson all exceed that contract. And I think top end t- quarterbacks are just underpaid because of how valuable they are. So the forty million a year doesn't bother me at all. And honestly, I I, I never stressed about this Dak contract because the Cowboys don't let good players get away or not players that they want to let go. And I know there was a lot of stuff going on in the media about maybe the Cowboys not wanting to sign him or Prescott wanting to leave. If you followed any kind of Cowboys contract drama over the last decade, this is always the way it plays out with Ezekiel Elliott or Des Bryant and Jalen Smith. Uh, It just, it's the way that it goes. And Jerry Jones paid Dak Prescott as we all thought he would. All right. Uh, I'm actually, I'm Trev said he was taking the last question. I'm taking the last question because I do want to know. <laughs> no, I, I just uh, said it was the last question from me. I kept uh, the door okay. Very, very kind of you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, this is what I want to know. Mike McCarthy, year two. Uh, year one, understandable kind of free pass given mm-hmm. the health issues that they dealt with. But uh, Dallas made efforts to keep Kellen Moore in the building this year. McCarthy was brought in as a veteran coach to immediately elevate the team. What's the expectation now? Because you just gave the big contract to the quarterback. You've got three high-level receivers in the building. You brought in Dan Quinn to fix this defense. I know the defense needs work, but that Cowboys offense was humming when Prescott was there. Where where, where are expectations at for this team? Because I feel like they could reasonably be very high, and if there's a limiting factor on that, it's probably the guy who's the head coach. Yeah, I think the expectation is they should win the division going away. Uh, not only if you look at these offenses, but look at the quarterbacks in the division with Daniel Jones, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Jalen Hurts. You have by far the best quarterback in the division. You have probably the most stable offense. Uh, you can make a case that you have the best coach in the division. They need to win 10, 11 games this year. And I know the defense might hold them back a little bit. But it's, it's time to go. We're, we're in Dak Prescott's prime. We're in Amari Cooper's prime. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, they need to make the playoffs. And I think that's, that's the bottom you know, end of the expectations here in Dallas. All right, so let's get you on the clock here with this number 10 overall pick in our guest mock draft series with the board. As we read before the interview, who would you be picking here, Marcus, if you were in charge? Yeah, so there is certainly some appeal to Rashawn Slater, the Northwestern offensive tackle, who I think could be a Zach Martin clone in the NFL at left guard. But uh, this one's too easy on us. It's Patrick Sertan, uh, the cornerback from Alabama, a perfect fit in Dan Quinn's cover three defense. You reunite him with uh, Trevon Diggs. You have two long athletic corners uh, that can both tackle. I just think this is too easy of a pick here, and then we'll continue to address the defense uh, the rest of the way. But Patrick Sertan is our pick at number 10. Did, uh, is there any thought to J.C. Horn okay, over yeah, Patrick I, Sertan? I was going to ask that too, so I'm glad you asked. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think they're very close. I think in terms of who's the better scheme fit and who's the better tackler, I think it is Sertan. I think Horn is maybe a little bit more versatile. You can move him around to cover tight ends and slot receivers. Uh, but in this, again, in this cover three defense, that's not really something they need. Uh, Diggs right. is going to play one side. Sertan's yeah. going to play the other. I think that's why it makes more sense to go with Sertan. Man, just bring in, bring in the full logic. Everybody follow Marcus's work on Twitter, Marcus underscore Mosier. He does. I'm, I'm, I had to look your bio up because you're doing a million things because you're so good at what <laughs> yes. you do. He's the editor of the Raiders Wire. He's the host of Locked On Cowboys and Locked On Dynasty. Man, Marcus, you're all over the place. And there's a reason why. It's because you always bring some good stuff. We appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. That's all for this episode of the guest mock draft series. We got 10 picks now in the books tomorrow. We're taking a little bit of a break because Ben and I are going to do some mocking of ourselves. It's going to be a mock draft Monday. We're going to be building off the first round mock draft that we recorded last week. So if you didn't hear last week's mock draft Monday, go listen to it because Ben and I made our own brand new first round mock draft. And tomorrow, this Monday, we're going to be doing rounds two and three based off that. So the trades and the moves that we had, the picks, they're all going to affect how we start out tomorrow's mock. Before we get out of here, I got to remind you guys about the best tasting bars on the planet. That is the folks over at BuiltBar.com. They've got 18 amazing flavors. We know that you're going to want to find one you love. And it doesn't just taste good. It's great for your diet, too. They're low in calories, low in sugar, but they got what everybody's looking for. They're high in protein, high in fiber as well. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. That's all caps, LOCKED, and then 1-5, and you will get 15% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED15. Get 15% over at BuiltBar.com. Get yourself some of the best-tasting protein bars on the planet. No guest mock draft tomorrow, but the mock madness doesn't stop. It'll be Ben and I picking up rounds two and round three. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.